0: ASI247.org, and you, behind your earbuds, phones, speakers, you're now streaming. Or maybe you downloaded. Season 7, Episode 5. And this episode, boys and girls, shall be titled Sex A Remedy for Quiet Quarrels in Quarantine? As I I a- a- attitude
1: or attitudes of sexual integrity integrity integrity. T- As I you're, you're-, you're
2: listening to t- t-
0: mid April 2020 is upon us. You're listening to a little Steve Bye with a little tune called Sunshine Electric Raindrops. Weather has been beautiful here in the Seattle area. Yeah, i love this tune it's off the album story of light steve vi i encourage you to power that up in your ear muscles whether it be streaming dropping the stylus on that vinyl eight track cassette wherever you get your music story of light beautiful stuff it's like sunshine here in Seattle coming through Steve Vai's guitar. And sometimes that's the only way we get sunshine. Except for April 2020. For once we get sunshine in April and no one can go do it. <laughs> but that's okay. My wife and I have been kicking back, enjoying the sunshine. But I've been thinking to myself, what about you? Russ at ASI247.org How's your quarantine going?
1: All the coffee, stay home, for eat all the chips, no rice, no trade.
0: Yes, I saw that on Twitter and I had to, uh, I had to share that with you. That's some, some comedy, comic relief from Blink 155. Uh, their Twitter handle is, uh, at Blink 155 pod, by the way, if you want to check them out and it's, it's a link to their, uh, Patreon page, patron page. I don't know. Do you know how to pronounce it? (laughs) I've heard it pronounced several ways, you know, in the theological sense, like there's Augustine and Augustine, which is the right one. No one really knows. It doesn't really matter. Um, But yeah, so if you're a Blink-182 fan, that's what the podcast is about. They talk about... Blink 182 tunes, you know, they unpack them, which I appreciate as a pop punk fan myself. So, uh, I just had to give them a shout out for that little, uh, verse in the, uh, in the video there, but seriously, but seriously, folks, that's actually the title of a Joe Walsh album. By the way, the song, uh, life's been good to me so far is on that album. Um. see what I just did there, focusing it back in, all right, bringing it back, here we go, deep breath, soaking into why this podcast exists and what this show is about, I was um watching television, you know, my wife and I, we cut the cable, we got an antenna, so we, we still get a lot of channels, and uh, we get all our local channels, you know, and they're talking on the news about, well, of course, COVID-19. It's like, and I'm sure you've noticed this, like wall-to-wall, almost 24 hours a day somewhere is this coverage. It's almost hard to watch. Like, sometimes I just have to shut it off, and then they'll speckle a little like horrible, really, no, it's not just a flu virus, it's it's worse than that, it's way worse than that, um, I get it, alright, but I'm always a little leery of broadcast news and how it uh, sensationalizes the negative, mostly, because fear sells, it really does, and so, you know, while they'll say things like, you know, it's not just old people dying from this thing, um, you know genetic markers match up and for some reason there's people who are dying of this and it's it's really sad and it's not just an aggressive flu virus i mean it is but it's more aggressive than people thought initially right and we need to be mindful of that i'm mindful of it but One of the things, as far as this show is concerned, that really grabbed my attention, and I've heard it reported a couple times now, um, divorce is on the rise uh, during these uncertain times, uh, spring of 2020 here. And I don't think there's a whole lot of people sitting around going, wow, that's surprising, you know? I mean, you think about it. It's the recipe and the kitchen together. You take this huge part of our identity, which is our work life, and you throw in some uncertainty. And then you take the financial part of this, and you throw in some pressure. As bills come due, not enough money in the checking account, savings being depleted... And we humans get disconnected from a place that we find a lot of security for our lives in, right? The place we make our money, which is our life energy. Like money isn't just, you know, credit card numbers or dollars or PayPal or coins. It actually represents your sweat, right? What you do and who you are, Security-wise, a big part of who you are, not all of it, but a good chunk of it, is tied to how we make that money that feeds us, puts a roof over our head, puts clothes on our back, right? I think that's why so many people meet their significant other at work. Uh, I don't recommend it. Right? I worked at a couple of places that they really discouraged in-, in office relationships because when they go bad, you know, it-, it just, it's a cloud, you know, it's like a stinky, it's like a skunk comes in and look at the young lovers hitting it off. You know, it's mushy, uh, It's sort of sweet though, but. The truth is, in a relationship, some of the most dysfunctional parts of ourselves tend to come up and out. And if that happens in an office, the rest of the office has to smell what Vanessa and The Rock been cooking, you know, relationally. And it's tension, and it's uncomfortable. And that shitty smell has to be smelt by the whole organization. No one wants that. That's why HR, this is like, (laughs) it's like an HR lesson here on the ASI podcast. It's true though. Not all the time. There are always exceptions to the rule, but that doesn't disprove the rule, right? Like you could go get on a bus or a subway and lick the handrail pole that people hold on to. And if you don't start coughing in two weeks, that doesn't mean it was a good idea you see what i'm saying i fought the law and the law won i love that song because it it kind of illustrates the pride of believing that one is the exception to the rule right for me <laughs> that's what i've had a yes the, the law won in my life and i've sat my ass in jail before so speaking from experience here um I think as a general rule, it's just a really good idea to not have those inter-office relationships. And I know that some of you do and or have maybe as an extramarital thing because that's the overlooked power of work and security relationship integration. Here in the United States, and this seems to be a big one in Western culture all over the world, we're getting busier and busier, and we tie so much of who we are into what we do. Maybe a really good question is, what came first, living a double life or double life living as a part of our culture? I've heard people say, you know, I don't like to bring my work home. You know, I leave my work stuff at work and when I come home, it's home time and I get that, you know, some of you don't want to air your grievances or whatever in front of the kids. I don't know. Um, But there is a time to be with your partner and share maybe how you felt throughout the day. And I know for you guys, it's like, oh, talk about how you feel. Yeah, man, because that stuff gets bottled up and it builds and builds pressure. And then something like this happens, right? COVID-19, quarantine life. These strange days can bring all of the, all that stuff that we've been pushing back, Some of us like want to work and do things around the house and then feel like crap when you don't get the thing done, right? Because just me, right? Okay. (laughs) No, but that's been an exercise in wholeness is realizing this is what I'm doing today and having some love and grace for myself. This is the longest vacation I've had in, in five years at least, or should I say staycation? My point is all of the one of those days, I'll get that done, right? All of that starts to bubble to the surface around now cognitively. I think that's that's built in us. All of the one of these days I'll do that comes to the forefront. And maybe I can stir you to see some of this as the emotional one of these days when it comes to how we process relationships is right here and now. Your relationship with yourself, maybe your relationship with your partner, your relationship with what is, which can also be the divine in my worldview over here. And single people, man, I kind of envy you in a way because you get to learn a lot about yourself right now. Oh, man, I tell you what, I don't envy you in the work or whatever it is that you're right in stewing in maybe, but it's so rich with inevitable change. When in a time like this, through no fault of our own, even all in this together, the winds of change come rushing in. And to quote the philosopher, Nikki six, the, uh, raw nerve endings of dysfunction are felt at a time like this and all of that stuff that hasn't been talked about all of those feelings that we haven't shared start to bubble to the surface and and times like these have a way these strange days right, have a way of burning out some of that built up gunk and calcified Things that we never talk about. This is a new one, Three Days Grace. Strange
1: day, sir. Oh. to the silence. We can dance to the sirens Strange days, here we come. Strange days, here we come. Strange days, here we come.
0: Days, here we come. That's a bumper by. Three Days, Grace, Strange Days is the name of that tune. ASI Podcast Bumps is the Spotify playlist. Um, Again, I'm not paid a dime to say that, uh, but I do appreciate the artists, and that's where the words bumper, promo, and talk radio comes from, and Spotify makes it easy for fans to connect with bands. They don't necessarily get paid a lot, When you hear each song, but you'll get notifications hopefully when the world gets back to normal. You'll know when they come to your town. You get notifications for merch and vinyl. So I get to talk about the bands, and it's win win. You know, there's parts of this we want to see go back to normal really quickly, like going to concerts, you know, seeing a band in a coffee shop or a bar. That would be really nice. Um, there's also parts of this that maybe we can bring with us when life does start to go back to normal. Keeping the strange days going, you know, not ignoring stuff. If anything, that is what I want to be taken away from this show. You know, there's it's not just positive thinking, or, you know, I'll give you some instructions which I am going to do uh, today on the show thanks to YouTube, right? There's some experts who are putting themselves out there and talking about some of the things we can do. Um, But this is also getting to some of those older shows where I talked about in the beginning, uh, like, I don't like the vague. Like, there's so much vagueness in some of the things psychologists say. Some of the things that spiritual teachers say, philosophers, like a big time, just, I don't like it. Like I want, give me the straight poop. I used to say, right? Like, just tell me, give me some instruction. And, and that's helpful. And, And I do want to share some of that stuff. And I'm, I'm even tapping into it these days. One of the things I learned is being mindful of my automatic negative thoughts. And during this time, having all this time, right, to myself and my wife and I and, you know, our relationship and not just that, but just my relationship with these strange days, pushing back uh, ants or automatic or even automated from your own psyche, your own subconscious, automatic negative thoughts. I've talked about Teflon and Velcro before, and I realize for some of you I'm repeating myself, but I I find reminders really important and helpful for me, especially, um, I actually learned this first from a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr, and he was pointing to the study that was done by this neurologist, you know, that humans, as we've evolved, you know, being chased by a saber-toothed tiger on the Serengeti, um, there's we were prey, right? Like, we're not at the top of the food chain. So we evolved this kind of, if it's negative, it sticks to us emotionally right away. Like negative thoughts, we feel them. Like, boom, like that. That's part of the fear, you know. Blackout fear that we I talked about in the last show. Better watch out. Like something might come up behind me. Like I know the anxiety like that's wired in us for survival. Positive thoughts or the good stuff or gratitude. Just being grateful for what we have. It takes... 20 seconds, 15 to 20 seconds to actually sit in it before we feel it, which I found really interesting. Like, so there's something to realizing our habitual negative thought tendencies, knee jerk, that sucks, you know, is in me. People suck. Um, people are idiots, uh, like, there's a lot of that there's a lot of that I mean it's really lazy cynicism you know as I as I talked about I shared that little clip from Henry Rollins of all people the uh punk rock guy from Black Flag talking about having to get grow up. Right. And get past this idea that like it's just easy to sit on a throne of self-righteousness and superiority and look down on everyone and people suck and everyone sucks. And it's it's harder to get both sides of the story, actually get to know people, actually care for people. Um, tapping into that subjective side, and it's the subjective part of us, that's where we're emotionally stirred, that's where we primarily make decisions, and the subjective stuff, yeah, it's vague, man. It Sometimes it feels vague just because we don't understand it. Like, a lot of this is is consciousness, right? It's being awake and uh, having the smelling salts come down. And that's the beautiful thing about the instruction. When you start to change who you are today, incrementally, even when you're stuffing it in from the outside, as I like to say, um, part of that, the discipline or self-discipline, when we do start to see ourselves change, there's a, a path, you know, there's the, the path again, right? The pathology of it. Which road am I going to go down? Because it can be pride or despair. That's the duality of it. We can, our egos, right? We let our ego take control. Right? This is why the spiritual, in my opinion, is so incredibly important, because when we get egocentric, pride or despair will be birthed out of some of this instruction or the inability to have enough self-control and or self-discipline to actually pull off the instruction or you do have a large tank of self-discipline and you can do it and you do pull it off and then you become arrogant right we become prideful that's why the sexually compulsive stuff is it's a good engine light on the dashboard you know the fact that you struggle with this unwanted behavior it's like a blinking light saying hey check engine see what I mean like I was really interested in getting underneath that like there's all these steps and all these things all these you know diets or stuff you can buy for diets uh right like the thigh master you know they always say that like in the fine print they say with diet and exercise you know a baseball will help you lose weight well freaking anything will help you lose weight if you have the self-discipline right the self-control to diet and exercise like that's don't bullshit me right we want to knee jerk go out and buy something that'll fix us like that's in us and being aware and awake to that is so incredibly important so if there's anything I could say to the 30s me when I started the show um it would be that. The the vague is, it's not that the vague is frustrating me as much as I don't see it. Help me see it, right? I believe, help my unbelief is a part of scripture. I love that. It's so honest, you know. Jesus is saying a lot of stuff to the disciples and, and there's this, right, this part, this beautiful little snapshot in the book where the disciples are like we believe, please help our unbelief Um, that's a part of this conversation the I've learned over time the awareness of, the importance of eyes that see and ears that hear and sometimes we think we're woke and that's just pride aka my ego trying to push towards the center of my being younger me had this energy and you know angst in a way good angst hopefully motivation to be better to do better I'm already woke just give me something to do and then something was given for me to do and when I couldn't do it I just like I suck like I'm horrible um I just don't have the self-discipline despair That's what that frustration, with the vague is about. So with that in mind, the motivation to do better, to be better, that's going to come from within. It's it's flowing out from center. Again, another ancient metaphor is this idea of of the heart. I've talked about that a lot in this show, but as a reminder, once again, if you've heard it before, you know, the blood pumps from center my motivations come from inside in here and they pump to the ends of my fingertips to the tips of my toes this is being aware of our drives so and so rather than me say well I've been doing this for 15 years like I'm some kind of freaking expert right like I'm just a dude who blabs into a mic I've learned some things over the years but ultimately I'm a podcaster all right and so masterclass is a thing if you've seen youtube videos or if you've heard streaming ads they talk about masterclass a lot i don't know if you've ever done one Um, they can be pretty pricey Uh, but right the beautiful thing about masterclass is you get these like world-renowned experts teaching on the subjects that they're passionate about and i love that Uh, the cool thing about the internet, though, is YouTube has a lot of these folks uh, that you can glean information and wisdom from for free. So <laughs> thanks to YouTube and the power of the internet, uh, I'm going to share some of that here today. And again, the way that you process this information, the, pra- the way that you um I want you to be mindful of, the, again, pride and or despair. Uh, relational stuff is very tricky because people are very unique. There's no two relationships on this planet that are exactly the same. Um, but there are some fundamentals and some things we can learn and things we can glean. And Let's hear from some people people who are more qualified to give relationship advice than I am. Uh, let me, hold on, let's tune this in a little bit.
1: Wasted on a nice face. In a place of fear, I put a helmet on a helmet, counting seconds through the night and got
0: First up, she's a Ph.D., a licensed social worker. She's a graduate of the College of Social Work in Houston. Her TED Talk is one of the most viewed TED Talks in TED history. Introducing behavioral analyst and researcher Brene Brown.
2: Shame drives two big tapes. Never good enough. And if you can talk it out of that one, who do you think you are? The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt is, I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that? Guilt. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame. I'm sorry, I am a mistake. There is a huge difference between shame and guilt. And here's what you need to know. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. And here's what you even need to know more. Guilt inversely correlated with those things. The ability... To hold something we've done or failed to do up against who we want to be is incredibly adaptive. It's uncomfortable, but it's adaptive. The other thing you need to know about shame is it's absolutely organized by gender. We're pretty sure that the only people who don't experience shame are people who have no capacity for connection or empathy. Which means, yes, I have a little shame, no, I'm a sociopath, so I would opt for yes, you have a little shame. Shame feels the same for men and women, but it's organized by gender. Shame for women is this web of unattainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who we're supposed to be. And it's a straitjacket. For men, shame is not a bunch of competing, conflicting expectations. Shame is one. Do not be perceived as what? Weak. Shame is an epidemic in our culture. And to get out from underneath it, to find our way back to each other, we have to understand how it affects us and how it affects the way we're parenting, the way we're working, the way we're looking at each other. If we're going to find our way back to each other, we have to understand and know empathy, because empathy is the antidote to shame. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle, me too. And I know it's seductive to stand outside the arena, because I think I did it my whole life, and think to myself, I'm going to go in there and kick some ass when I'm bulletproof and when I'm perfect. And that is seductive. But the truth is, that never happens. And even if you got as perfect as you could and as bulletproof as you could possibly muster, when you got in there, that's not what we want to see. We want you to go in. We want to be with you and across from you. And we just want for ourselves and for the people we care about and the people we work with to dare greatly.
0: Next is Joanne Dalva, who's a professor of psychology and the director of clinical training for the Department of Psychology at Stony Brook University. I pulled this from a TED Talk, which will be on heart, mind, love, sex, and affection. The Facebook group for this year' podcast. This one's especially for younger folks, millennials, Gen Zers. Um, it's a little booky, to use that term, um, nutsy boltsy. One of the things I like to stir up in this show is is what, what do I want? What do I want? And I believe it's in my definition of wholeness. Like, you start to realize what you want as a whole person. Because of some of my sexual history very early on, I was very fragmented. Um, I had parts of myself buried. I didn't know who the hell I was for a long time. That'd be my only criticism in this <laughs> this talk here. But it's still really good, and that's why I'm sharing it. This woman really knows her stuff. Again, this is Joanne DeVela. She has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and the talk is titled Skills for Healthy Romantic Relationships.
3: I do couples therapy, and it can be a wonderful thing. But many people come to couples therapy with so many ingrained problems and patterns that they just can't change. It's too late. You know when else we try to teach people how to have healthy relationships? Right before they get married. It's called premarital education. And this is a good idea. Teach people how to have a good relationship while they're still happy, presumably. And it can work, but in my opinion, it's still too late. Why? Because people have already selected the person they want to commit their life to. What if they've selected poorly? No amount of premarital education can make up for a bad partner choice. So the ways that we've tried to teach people how to have healthy relationships have been limited because they fail to address three important things. Genuinely knowing what you want and need in a partner and a relationship, selecting the right person, and developing and using skills right from the beginning. And I don't mean the beginning of any particular relationship. I mean the beginning beginning, like as soon as possible. We need to teach people, especially young people, how to have healthy relationships. Now, towards this end... My colleagues and I have developed a skills based model of relationship functioning that we believe can help people create the things that lead to healthy relationships and reduce the behaviors that lead to unhealthy ones. We've identified three skills insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation that form the basis for what we call romantic competence. Romantic competence is the ability to function adaptively across all areas or all aspects of the relationship process, from figuring out what you need, to finding the right person, to building a healthy relationship, and to getting out of relationships that are unhealthy. I'll tell you more about the skills in a minute, but first let me say we didn't just make this up out of the blue we identified the skills based on a thorough review of theory and research. And the skills really represent the commonalities across the major theories and and research findings on healthy relationships. And because they represent the commonalities, we think they really can help people with all the different parts of the relationship process and with all different people, whether people are in a relationship or not. So let me tell you about the skills. The first one is insight. Insight is about awareness and understanding and learning. So with insight, you'll have a better idea of who you are, what you need, what you want, why you do the things you do. So let's say you're being really snappy to your partner. With insight, you might notice or realize that It's not that your partner's doing anything, it's actually that you're really stressed out at work and what you really need is to relax a little bit so it doesn't bleed out over into your relationship. Insight will also let you know your partner better. Let's say your partner shows up late for a date. With insight, you'll know why. For example, maybe your partner's late for everything. It's nothing about you, it's nothing about the relationship. That's just who your partner is. With Insight, you'll be able to anticipate the positive and negative consequences of your behavior. For example, you'll know that if you send that nasty text, it's not going to go well. Maybe you better make a phone call instead. With Insight, you'll be able to learn from your mistakes in ways that allow you to behave differently in the future. So maybe you'll recognize that you're the kind of person who tends to jump in really quickly. You get wrapped up in the romance of things, And then things don't go well. So you might be able to say, well, you know what, the next time, I'm just going to take things a little more slowly and not repeat the same mistake. And with insight, you'll have a better understanding about what's really right for you in a relationship. Maybe you're the kind of person who really needs a monogamous relationship. You're not okay with your partner seeing other people. Or maybe you'll realize it's just the opposite that you're not ready to settle down and you need a partner who's okay with that. So that's insight. The second skill is mutuality. Mutuality is about knowing that both people have needs and that both sets of needs matter. With mutuality, you'll be able to convey your own needs in a clear, direct fashion that increases the likelihood that you'll get them met. So let's say you have to go to a really stressful family event and you'd like your partner to be there with you. You might say directly, you know, this is going to be stressful for me. I'd really love for you to be there. You'll be a good buffer for me. Um, Is there any way you can clear your schedule to come with me? With uh, With mutuality, you'll be willing to meet your partner's needs as well. Let's say you know that your partner really likes to go to the gym first thing in the morning. It makes your partner feel better the rest of the day. Mutuality will let you be willing to support your partner in this even though you'd really rather have your partner stay home and in bed with you. And mutuality also lets you factor both people's needs into decisions that you make about your relationship. So let's say you get a great job offer that you'd like to take, but you know it means you're going to have to work more, and you know how important it is for both you and your partner to spend time together. With a mutual approach, you, you might say, you know, I'd really like to take this job, it's really important to me but I also am concerned about us spending time together. If I promise to protect some time for us, will you be okay with me taking this job? That's a mutual approach to relationships. The third skill is emotion regulation. And emotion regulation is about regulating your feelings in response to things that happen in your relationship. With emotion regulation, you'll be able to... Um, keep your emotions calm and keep things that happen in your relationship in perspective. So, you might think, oh my goodness, this is a disaster. This is the worst thing ever. How am I going to handle this? With emotion regulation, you'll think, you know what? I can handle this. This is going to be all right. There's a way to deal with this. I'm going to figure this out. Everything's going to be okay. With emotion regulation, you'll be able to tolerate uncomfortable feelings And not act out on them impulsively. So you'll be able to think through your decisions more clearly. So let's say you're waiting for your partner to text you back. That text isn't coming. You're getting really anxious. You're checking your phone every two seconds. With emotion regulation, you'll be able to tell yourself, you know what, calm down. The text is going to come. I don't need to check my phone every second. I'm just going to put it away and focus on the task at hand. And with emotion regulation, you'll be able to maintain a sense of self-respect and commitment to your needs, even when bad things happen in your relationship. So let's say you have a breakup. You're feeling really depressed. You're really missing your partner. With emotion regulation, you'll be able to let yourself know that it's okay. That, yeah, you're going to feel depressed, but you're going to get over it. You're going to get through this. If you beg and plead to get back together... You're not going to feel good about yourself and you don't even want to be in a relationship that wasn't good for you. So insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation, I believe it's people's ability to use the skills on a day-to-day basis that lets them have healthy relationships. We have data to support this as well. I've been studying romantic competence, the ability for people to use insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation, among young people. In one of our studies, we looked at 13 and 14-year-old girls, early adolescent girls, and we found that girls who were more romantically competent felt more secure in their relationships. They felt comfortable being close to people. They could trust people. They weren't worried about being rejected. Girls who were more romantically competent reported fewer depressive symptoms. They had better mental health. They also were more positive um, about their expectations about marriage in the future. They were more optimistic that it could go well. Girls with greater romantic competence were engaging in uh, more typical romantic activities for their age, things that were normative, like dating and flirting and um, affectionate behaviors, like hugging and kissing. And girls who were more romantically competent were engaging in fewer um, Uh, atypical sexual activities like sexual intercourse, which can be considered pretty risky for a 13 and 14-year-old girl. So even at an early age, 13 and 14 years old, when these girls mostly were not even in relationships, the more romantically competent they were, the more adaptive relational functioning they were showing and the better mental health they were showing. We see the same things among young adults 18 to 25 years old. More romantically competent men and women feel more secure in relationships. They also report making better decisions. They can see the warning signs when things aren't going well and make conscious decisions with confidence. They're also better at seeking and providing support to their partners. So they're more willing to ask for what they need and use what their partners give them. And they're better at providing helpful support when when needed. And this isn't just what they told us. We actually observed them doing this in our laboratory when we asked them to talk with one another about a personal problem. Um, young people who were more romantically competent also were more satisfied in their relationships. They were happier. And again, they reported fewer depressive symptoms and also fewer anxiety symptoms. So overall, being romantically competent at a young age is associated with greater, more adaptive relationship functioning and greater individual well-being. And this brings me back to my point that we need to be teaching people how to have healthy relationships. So, like I said earlier on, We may know what a healthy relationship looks like but most people have no idea how to get one and no one teaches us how to do so. And this is a problem. We need to help people genuinely know what they want and need in a relationship. We need to help them select the right partner. We need to help them make good decisions and deal with the challenges that relationships bring and we need to help them build and use skills right from the beginning. This is what the notion of romantic competence is all about. It's all about using insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation to reduce the behaviors that lead to unhealthy relationships, like fighting and poor support and hostility and criticism and contempt and violence, and create the things that lead to healthy relationships, like intimacy, security, respect, good communication, and a sense of being valued.
0: So there you go. A bit clinical, but uh, some good stuff. Uh, the whole TED Talk will be on heart, mind, love, sex, and affection. By the way, if you want to check out the, the Facebook group there and uh, see the whole talk. Um, my wife and I saw marriage counselors um, a lot, you know, uh, more than three We've had over the years, and we were married before we were legal drinking age. So we've been married. I'm what fifty one now. We've been married more than thirty years. All right. So the the last marriage counselor that we had when I was going through some of my um, trauma therapy. the best this was the best advice that that we got, I think, in our whole and maybe it was just where I was at at the time or where we were at. But she, you know, mid-session stopped us and said, what would it be like for you two to be kind to one another? You know, and that kind of stopped us in our tracks, like being partners. That's another one using that word partners. Uh, that's kind of a modern way of defining, you know, you used to say, well, my wife, my husband, my spouse or whatever. And, and now partners and people will say, oh, well, it's because of the LGBTQ community. And, uh, if it is, I'm okay with that. Like, that's great, <laughs> you know, whatever. But when you're a partner, the, the language of partner is different than marriage because i think marriage comes with it these expectancies you know being a younger man um especially christian you know a lot of guys getting married early young newlyweds they just oh yeah we're going to be having sex all the time like it's going to be great (laughs) and they quickly learn that sex doesn't work the way that for her uh, for the guy right like there's a a difference in arousal and how this chemistry works um, past experience our attachments and the way we think about sex and shame being naked with one another Um, this all this stuff is downstream from a big one is kindness being kind to one another. And yeah, my wife and I got in a few fights since uh, I've been now off work for almost a month. Um, And a a big one was me, because I've been a, a working guy. You know, I'm working a job, and I'm out, and I'm not... Uh, doing chores as much as I'm not used to it, you know, and carrying my weight, so to speak, you know, um, being a good partner to my wife, who is the, the major breadwinner right now with her uh, little business from right here at home. And there's all these different ways of thinking about it, you know, and I'm I'm not judging her, right, like, not that I did, but I just don't like it, right, I don't like doing chores, I don't like washing dishes, I don't like doing laundry, but doing those things because I want to be kind and love my wife, that's something else, that's something I'm practicing, putting into practice that uncomfortable, right, pushing back my teenage childish I don't want to do chores right as my wife is vacuuming upstairs (laughs) if you can hear that probably not but uh I am doing my part man come on uh just being honest with you in this episode about some of my my shortcoming relationally things we still you know work on um Before I leave you, I wanted to uh, share with you, this is going to sound like an ad, again, I'm not being paid to say this, but Brene Brown, uh, who was the first expert I had shared some audio from, uh, she did a Netflix special, and I wanted to share this audio with you as well. Here's a a team of news talking head people um, interviewing her, Uh, I didn't include them so much. But here you go. This is uh, Brene Brown talking about the Netflix special. If you haven't seen it, it was recorded in August of 2019. It's up right now. Um, I strongly recommend, especially if you're having troubles during quarantine, your communication is not doing well, um, sit down and watch this with your partner. All right. Here's Brene Brown again
2: there is no courage without being all in. Like, if you can do something and not feel vulnerable, it's probably not that brave. Hi, everybody! I think we're gonna have some fun, talk about some hard stuff, laugh a little bit, and hopefully learn something from each other. How many of you know that I'm super introverted? It's handy when I'm traveling, because like, I'll be sitting next to someone and they'll say, so what do you do? And if I'm not in the mood to chat, I'll be like, I study shame, what do you do? they're just like <laughs> How many of you want more love, intimacy, joy? True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. You don't measure vulnerability by the amount of disclosure. Live tweeting your bikini wax not vulnerability. <laughs> I'm not going to bullshit you. Vulnerability is hard and it's scary and it feels dangerous, but it's not as hard, scary or dangerous as getting to the end of our lives and having to ask ourselves, what if I would have shown up?
0: And we're back. That's some audio from the trailer for the next, the Netflix special, (laughs) getting that out. Speaking of vulnerability, um, times like these, you know, for my family, Uh, For myself, it's scary, you know. We haven't got our stimulus check yet. Um, The unemployment for gig workers like myself is not even set up yet by the state. Um, Bills are coming due. The pain and uncertainty of a situation like this can tend to clip our wings, some right the the moods that we can get into we can start future tripping on you know the worry part of us just takes over kindness being kind during a time like this it's it's going to take vulnerability it's it, maybe it's not reciprocated because because your partner is also hurting But that doesn't mean we can't work to exercise the muscle of kindness. Sometimes it feels like having to work out a muscle. Being kind is so important right now. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, all of you who who took the time to maybe finish this show. Um, I appreciate every single one of you. Going to end the show out with another track, Bumper by frank-turner.com. It's the website for his music. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. Till next time, ASI247.org. Send me an email, russ at ASI247.org, if you'd like big hugs for every single one of you that are still listening Till next time bye
1: history's been leaning on me lately I can feel the future breathing down my neck and all the things I thought were true when I was young and you were too Turned out to be broken And I don't know what comes next In a world that has decided That it's going to lose its mind Be more kind, my friends Try to be more kind Raising walls around the world now Like hackles raised upon a cornered cat On the borders in our heads Between the things that can and can't be said we'll Stop talking to each other There's something wrong with that So before you go out searching, don't decide what you will find Be more kind, my friends, try to be more kind You should know Attitudes of Sexual Integrity is a listener-supported podcast.
0: Do you like what you hear, here? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents. The podcast
1: and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only
2: and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal or other advice.
0: In addition, Russ makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast
2: or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional physiological or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. Like the jams we play here on the podcast?
0: Go to asi.org and follow the
2: kickin playlist, or search ASI Podcast Bumps on Spotify. Follow the bands if you like the music and get notifications for
0: concert dates, merch, vinyl, and stuff. Okay bye now.